So if you're anything like Axel, you're probably on your fourth D&D campaign and are really struggling to generate new NPC names. Or maybe you're like me and you just insist on giving names to every single one of your space marines. Or maybe you're having a baby here soon and you're sick and tired of all those boring baby naming books. Well then, I suggest you pick up Naming Your Little Geek by Scott Rubin. A perfect compendium of names from all over pop culture, complete with brief character synopses, origins, and root words. A fascinating read on its own, but really useful if you're trying to find a non-pun name for your Wi-Fi. Use the link in our description below and get naming. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going tonight, man? The horrors persist, but so do I. Now that's... that's something. How about you? Ah, uh, just... it's just another day. Not good, not bad. Just a day. Alright, while we move on from this depressing intro to... our patrons? Yeah, the illustrious legion, the people that give us money, our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Gelly, Marquis, Chris Shipman, River Gelly, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin A., Brendan Nagy, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donna Lucy, Carson Mel, Scott Ruman, Derek Gelly, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join the illustrious legion, head on to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. For only $1 a month, you get early access to all our content. And for $5 a month, you get early access to all our content, bonus content, and best of all, Patreon will actually give us some of that money. Yay. <laughs> They're such a nice company. Anyways, you read the title. You know why we're here. Yeah, it's Let's January, move. which means we've time to recap last year. Yep. Just the Talk movies, about movies. Yeah. So, real quick, like we started, doing, how did you feel about 2023 and movies? I saw 26 movies that came out last year. Of those 26, I feel like seven of them were things worthwhile to be on a top 10 list Ooh, well that that i'm not gonna go mm. see here's the thing folks axel keeps meticulous lists of every movie he sees i do i just keep track of the movies that hey i like that that feels like that has a place in my top 10 i'm a giant um, nerd it's okay <laughs> hey we all have our own Hobbies. I like lists and categorization and Excel sheets. Well, actually, no, fuck Excel. I like sheets, though. Yeah, and I mean, if you know me at all, at least in the size capacity, you'd think that'd be my bag, but not not with movies, which I don't know. Yeah, but I, I don't know, man. As for, I'd have to go back and look at what previous years were. I guess I still, in my mind, 2014 was my favorite year for movies, but that was just because that was the year that Boyhood, Whiplash, and Nightcrawler came out, and it's hard to think of a a year where like such a solid group of movies came out together 2020 2014 was not a good year well no 2014 was a good year 2015 2016 one of those years was a real stinker uh 20 well yes anyway point is though that the 2024 there were two movies that came out that were i think absolutely amazing a bunch of pretty good ones and there were actually because normally i don't have enough movies to fill up a, a a top 10 worst list and that's still the case here but there were oh, yeah. five we should, we should address that we aren't doing top we aren't doing worst movies because i don't keep track of the bad movies i see i do but i i generally don't see enough movies that are bad to make a top 10 that's really just because i 
I go to the movies like once a week, uh, sometimes once every two weeks. That's why, you know, 52 weeks, 26 movies. I saw one movie every other week. And yeah. I'm usually pretty good at deciding, like, I'm not going to go see that. I'm not going to go see that. Like, I didn't see the Trolls movie. I don't need to see the Trolls well, movie that's to know. Right. I that was enjoy. the thing that came out this year. Yeah. And also, there's a distinction between movies that I think are bad and movies that I don't like. There have been yeah. several, many movies that I watched and didn't like but don't think are bad and thus wouldn't put on a worse list. The prime example that keeps getting brought up is Dune, which I do not think was bad. I just think was not for me from last year. Yeah. And so, that's kind of the other reason we did away with things. This is a list of movies that we loved and enjoyed, and that doesn't necessarily like, – Worst and didn't enjoy are two separate categories. Yeah. Also, and this is because I'm, like, I'm a cinephile, but I'm just not a very good one, I think. And I admit that. There are plenty of movies that came out this year that would probably be on my list if I had time to see them. I didn't get to see Asteroid City, which was something I really, really wanted to see, but I wanted to see it with my buddy who introduced me to Wes Anderson, and I couldn't find a good time schedule for him to see it with me. Thus, I didn't get to see it. I didn't get to see Killers of the Flower Moon. I probably wouldn't have liked that because i had mixed feelings about the irishman but still i didn't get to see that i didn't get to see zone of interest which was a fucking insane idea have you heard of that shit zone of interest i i keep hearing about it why what is that one? for anyone who doesn't know zone of interest was just so there's a channel on youtube i really like called cinefix if you have, if you're not subscribed to them or whatever the terminology is just go check out their shit they make the best countdowns on the internet and they talked about zone of interest and they described it as if someone saw schindler's list and was like i want to watch this but without all of the with all the joy ripped out of it yeah this is one a lot of people have talked about i'm telling you right now if i saw it i wouldn't have put it on my list because i'm never ever 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 going to want to go back and watch that and experience that again yeah but great movie but well, no. Well, hold on. What you just described was what I was going to say, but that's to me not it. There are movies that I've seen that I love that I never want to see again. The I always go back to No Country for Old Men. I never want to watch that again, but I still love it. It's a great movie. I just never want to see it again. And Zone of Interest yeah. would probably fit in that same kind of category. But no. I didn't get to see that. I didn't get to see the Slam Dunk movie, which apparently was fucking amazing. I I didn't get to see uh, The Killer, which is Michael Fassbender, apparently as an assassin, which sounds awesome. I, I've heard so many mixed things. I don't know. But yeah, no. And for me, I don't have a lot of free time just in general. And for those of you who remember, I hurt my back in January. It is still January. My back is still fucked. And basically my income for the year was cut in half. So my ability to go to the movies shrank drastically. Yeah. So I missed a lot of movies this year. And there are a handful of movies that I feel like someone who knows me might expect me to put in my top 10 that I then didn't. Like, you won't hear me talk about the Teenage Mutant Turtles movie, even though I sleep under Teenage Mutant Turtles blanket. Like, it was fine, <laughs> but not on my top ten. So, I think overall it was it was just a year of a move for movies. I think there were there were some that were fine. So there was- I think the strike hurt it a bit because there's an well, strike and pandemic. They're still getting it sorted. Because when I look at my list, my top five, I'm really strong. I feel really strongly about my top six. I feel really strongly about yeah. My my bottom five, like they are all very good movies that I enjoyed a lot, but there's a couple on here. It's like, you got in on a technicality. Yeah. I know I have at least one, one... technically is on a technicality. We'll get to when we get there. Yeah. I know I got one movie on my list that I know or actively dislikes, but that's fine. It's not because it's a bad movie because it's against his particular sensibilities. I had so. to pause and think what that one was. I'm like, Oh yeah, that one, there's two movies I didn't get this year. That and bottoms. 
which I didn't see bottoms, but I I heard outside of you I heard good things. So. Oh yeah, so it's like I'm too old for this. That that is literally what is happening here. This yeah. is not... But again, that's a good example of like I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying it's not for me. You know, kind yep. of thing. Anyway, I don't know if I had a movie that I Oh, I know the movie I genuinely hated this year that stole 2 hours of my life. That fucking Netflix movie with Mahershala Ali and basically a fuck ton of other people that's 2 hours of just fucking wankery. Okay, so I don't know what movie you're talking about. But neither do I. But, but because I I generally believe in going from bad to good to like ending on good and we're not going to do a whole thing on this real quick. The five movies I saw this year that I actively didn't like were Knights of the Zodiac, which was just a massive disappointment, uh, even though it had some kind of cool CG effects, but most of it was kind of crappy looking. Cocaine Bear, which was just a major letdown from a premise, but admittedly it's kind of hard to turn that premise into a full movie. The Flash, which we kind of knew was a train wreck going into it, yeah. so I, I have nothing else to say about that. Extraction 2, which I feel like is kind of a cheap shot because I didn't even see Extraction 1, but I don't know how you make Chris Hemsworth as boring as that does. And my my worst movie of the year, which was my biggest disappointment easily, was Operation Fortune, the Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham movie, because normally I Guy Ritchie... I keep forgetting I saw that. Yeah, and normally Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham are such a good winning combo, but... And I believe Ulrich here... Jason Statham has a new brand that he has to manage, so he can't be the funny guy that he was in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking yeah, Barrels. Yeah. We talked about this on our uh, Discord hangout we did. Yeah, no. Jason Statham has fallen into the same category as The Rock of cannot lose a fight, must always be a machismo guy, and, and I, he is screaming for him to take a punch to get his ass kicked to lose, and it's like, no. It's yeah. Jason Statham. And Jason Statham never loses at anything. And it's fucking Guy Ritchie. I love Snatch. is one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. I love The Gentleman. I even like his not-crime oh, movies. Awesome. Like, I love Guy Ritchie. Aubrey Plaza is one of the main characters, and she's always entertaining. How is Operation Fortune so fucking boring? Anyway. Yeah. No, Hugh Grant watch, is good. Uh, yeah, Hugh Grant's having a great time. Go watch Bullet Train. That's the good Guy Ritchie movie. <laughs> is it... Uh, that's not actually a Guy Ritchie movie, though, right? No, it's not Guy Ritchie. Yeah, but yeah. It no, is, it, but it is Guy Ritchie. It's it like, feels oh, like Guy Ritchie. Yeah. He ghosted this one. He's like, yeah, yeah, no. Just put my name on this Statham movie. I'm going to go do something fun. Anyway, there are, besides that, there's a bunch of movies that are just fine that you won't hear me talk about at all. Like, uh, okay, la last one, just because it was super successful. I saw the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. I'm not attached to that franchise at all, but I thought it was fine. <laughs> So, movies like that, you're not going to hear me say from anything about this time forward. A lot of bad horror movies I didn't like, but I'm not going to go into that, because we got ten movies to cover, and this usually takes us a while. This will take a while, because we got twenty movies to talk about, and we've got a little around an hour. We'll probably go a little longer. We usually go longer oh, with yeah. these. These ones always run long. Cause, All right, yeah. you first or me it's first? Uh, let's go you first, because everyone's going to yell at my number ten. Okay, fine. My number ten is uh, the A24 picture, Talk to Me. Oh, which... god damn it. They're going to yell at me right out the gate, aren't they? <laughs> I guess so. Talk to Me, I think, was fun. And I, I'm i not really a horror guy. I've been getting into horror over the last couple of years. Uh, basically, since someone had me think about horror differently, I've been... Anal I, and I don't know. Talk to Me was really fun. I like the fact... It's, I don't know how effective it is as a horror movie, but as it's a not. as a metaphor. Like I'll see. I again, I'm not super into horror movies, but as a a metaphor for drug use and peer pressure and the kind of people who take advantage of those in grief, there's a lot going on. I also think it's one of the most 
fascinating naturalistic performances for the whole cast for like teenagers especially teenagers with a obviously cursed item and that alone is engaging and entertaining so okay yeah. yeah no you just reminded me why i didn't like it and it is the most a24 horror movie that is ever a24 horror movie sure but i like a24 so works for me and i'm not going to spend a lot of time on this i didn't like it because it just looked hey what if we had a weird concept? We never explained or really did anything with that weird concept, but we shot everything really fucking well. Everyone go, oh my god, it's amazing. It's funny you say that because I know we've talked about this before. I love that we never explain what the, the point of or what the thing is. Like I, I literally don't even care that. It's that it was all metaphor subtext. No real the story was there to service all of this. I'm trying, I'm trying not to be crass here. Jacking off metaphor, like it's a metaphor. Do you get it? It's a really good metaphor. We made a great metaphor. Love us. And I hated it. It pissed me off so much. I'm like, you don't have a fucking story. You just have a series of metaphors. But no, people are going to yell at me anyways. I'm not going down this road. Yeah, I mean, I I like the story. I especially like how it ended in a kind of de- sad, depressing but interesting looping way. Oh, that's fine. I can I can deal with that. It was just it's. It's fucking... I feel about this the way I felt about Barbarian. No, I like Just that one too, so... All right. Ridiculously angry for such petty, stupid reasons. Yeah. It, all right. Fair. All right. So now that everyone's mad at me, I'm going to go ahead and do my number 10. Uh, my number 10 was The Marvels. Which, spoiler alert, is on my list too. A little further up, but yeah. Marvel's... Okay, good. We can address this one. So how about we some... just wait until we get to when I... Or if you want to say anything, go ahead. Let's say, some of our friends have put a no Marvel clause in their lists for whatever bullshit reasons. That's their own thing. All right. I'm not, no, I'm not doing that. Um, yeah, I don't give yeah, a we'll shit about, in... I don't give a shit about Zeitgeist or anything like that. I'm just talking about the movies I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, this one's on, and again, this one's on here because it was fun, because I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it more when it gets to your list. Your okay, well, my number nine is Haunting in Venice. Which is a it's an Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot, Kenneth Branagh. Do you like murder mystery movies? There you go. This is Kenneth Branagh just laundering his money from one project to the next. Yeah, and honestly, I have no problem with that because it's a his performance is great. I love Agatha Agatha Christie murder mysteries. It's not anywhere as good, I think, as his as Murder on the Orient Express was, but I do think it's better than Death on the Nile was. Yeah, I wasn't Death on the Nile bad. No, no, Death on the Nile wasn't bad. It was just. Okay, not and, as good. Yeah. Yeah. I, the eh says it all. I think Haunting in Venice is between the two of them. Like, good enough mm-hmm. that I, I was like, yeah, I'm into this. And I also, I didn't, I didn't see, because I haven't read the original story this is based off of, which was not called A Haunting in Venice. It was called, like, the the something party, or I don't remember exactly. I have my Agatha Christie collection, but I haven't read this story. And so I didn't know the ending, and I figured out the reveal only, like, two or three minutes before it happened, which I feel is appropriate for a mystery. So I, I think it did its job just fine. I keep meaning to watch these because they're a passion project and I can respect a passion project. Yeah. And the Generally. the ending feels like Kenneth Brown is saying, I'm going to keep making these as long as you keep coming to them. <laughs> which and, again, I love that it's this, he really loves this character. He really loves these movies. He's just going to keep like, all right, I went and made these movies. Now I'm going to cash those checks and go make one for me. 
Yeah, basically, and it's fun. It's it's nothing spectacular. I mean, hell, even his murder on the Orient Express wasn't anything spectacular. But these are just so far, it's a franchise of solid mystery movies. So we're on number nine now, right? Yeah, nine. That was my nine. That was your nine. What was oh, your ten was talk to me. I got lost in the rage. Your nine. Uh, my nine is Evil Dead Rise, which I didn't see. Eh. Oh, you you couldn't do this one. This this is not an Axel movie. Sure, I'm not gonna fight you on that. Yeah, no, I... I saw the trailer and was like, the trailer's really cool, but I ain't watching this. Yeah, no, I went and saw this with our friends Seth, Jesse, and Lexi when they came up to visit me. We all went and, you know, got extremely drunk and then watched this. God, I wish I could join you for that. I would have been worth oh, it. Oh, that was fun. One of my favorite parts is there's a movie. I don't remember what it's called. I'm still convinced it doesn't exist, but a trailer played, and it's like the Price Exorcist Conspiracy or some shit. The new Exorcist movie, and, probably. Yeah, some weird thing. And Seth literally shouted, holy shit, they're publishing Christian fanfic now? <laughs> Again, I don't believe this movie exists because I have never heard of it since this one time in the theater. Anyway, Evil Dead. But anyways, Evil Dead proves that this is still a bulletproof franchise. It's really fun. It's really inventive. It's really gory. But it's sitting at number nine. Why is it sitting at number nine? And I feel worse in this. It didn't really move the needle for me in any measurable way. Hmm. Like, Slagathor and I came out like, you know, that was fun, but kind of tame for an Evil Dead movie. Like, yeah, you know. And I, I don't remember who it was, but someone was like, really? Like, the cheese grater scene was tame? Like, oh, no, the cheese grater scene was great, but... You only saw it for like a split second. Fucking Raimi would have shown you the whole thing. Yeah. But to be clear to any listeners, I have seen and love Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and Ash vs. Evil Dead. There's a line, though, for me, <laughs> which is why oh, I would no, say... this has got some great fucking fucked up body shit. And then, again, it's all one run down beat to shit foreclosed upon apartment. So it's very claustrophobic. It's good, not great. Okay. Is how I'll put it. All right. Uh, my number eight because we're just kind of rolling through here, is now where we can talk about the Marvels, because it's number eight on my list. Okay, so let's go ahead and say it. We do not believe the MCU is dead. We do not believe... We superhero said it on recording like six or seven times. I know. I'm. We need a button that we can push that just pre-rolls all this. The only thing, and maybe this is my first kind of contingent, is maybe it is, but it's not to me, because I fucking love comics and still read comics, but here's, even though nobody else does. Here's what I'll say, though. Um, the whole concept of that conversation, I feel like, is easy shorthand to ignore the details of the movie that we're watching. Because oh, yes. if, if I say to someone, hey, there's this sci-fi adventure movie about this group of, like, three people, and it's mostly about their interactions with each other and them figuring out how to work together to save the world like i don't know that's just a sci-fi adventure movie it's a really good character-driven sci-fi adventure movie what do you want from me no last things last anyone that's saying oh the mcu's dead who movies did really doesn't want to talk about the abysmal year that the box office had and what that plays into the greater picture of things yeah uh for anyone like there's a much grimmer thing hanging over yeah i mean for anyone listening uh the pandemic isn't over as much as it seems like it oh, sometimes even even setting that aside this year, there were $2 billion movies that kind of maybe memed themselves into that billion dollars. Yeah, we'll, talk about, okay, we'll talk about one of those but, later. Yeah, I'm just saying there's a much bigger conversation that's not being had while everyone's jerking themselves to the Marvel's dead. No one likes superhero. Ooh, new Invincible. Yeah. Anyway, so the reason why I think Marvel's is 
only eight on my list. It is that it's just a fun. Because here's the thing: the main thing I loved about it was Kamala Khan. Uh, I don't know the actress's name. She kills it. I also love getting to hear uh, Brie Larson sing. She did a weirdly good that job was, of that. Yeah, that should have been. <coughs> that should have been a longer sequence. Yeah, the whole like, musical planet was fucking amazing. Yeah, but I, I the real will... reason Marvel sits at ten for me is this one. You can feel the cutting behind the scenes. One thing and... I will acknowledge that I hadn't realized until this movie is that Brie Larson as an actress is. I don't want to use the word limited because I feel like that's insulting, but I do think yeah. that she's... There are some actors and actresses that I think are very effective when you have them do specific things and are not as effective when you try to have them do other things. For instance, I think Brie Larson is extremely good at intensity. You saw that, for me, way back in Scott Pilgrim when she played Envy Adams, but also a lot of her best bits as Carol Danvers have been her intensely dealing with her problems one weakness i think she has is selling sadness now she's yeah. a very good eye actress but i think the oh, rest yeah. of her face doesn't follow her sometimes the big other problem like we, we did a whole review for the marvels it's up on the patreon go check it out is they don't know what captain marvel's character is like what they want to do with her and what her personality is going to be which is funny because so, that's why Kamala Khan pulls so much of that slack in this movie. Yeah, it's it's really like we don't know what to do with her. Give her two other people to have that she has great chemistry with to play off of, and it kind of fills in. But this was a fun, just jaunt of a movie. I really enjoyed it. I saw it with my family. We also, all enjoyed it. I disagree with the internet at large trying to put the villain of this movie in the like lower tier of Marvel villains. Admittedly, I don't remember her name. I know that's a mark against her, but I love the fact that she's basically a twist on Killmonger and if you're yeah. gonna twist one of the Marvel villains Killmonger's a good one to twist the only real problem there is everyone was like oh my god this one's 90 minutes then you watch it and you go ooh this one's only 90 minutes it does go really fast yeah it's just you can kind of like no no this needed a bit more room to breathe this needed a bit more time that is I, 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 I will also say this. yeah I'm pretty sure that Ulrich will not be able to say this as well but this is the only mcu movie on my list and this is the only one on my list ant-man quantumania bounced back and forth because i really did enjoy quantumania but quantumania lost out to the marvels because one i thought the marvels was a better movie overall and quantumania quantumania probably would have been on number well, one I, I, I don't give a shit about quantumania there's another marvel movie came out this year that oh, that's I right. loved. <laughs> oh yeah no the one i forgot Jesus Christ. Okay. I've got the same thing everyone else has. Everyone forgets Guardians came out this year when they talk about how bad Marvel was this year. Yeah, so whereas I, I don't have Guardians on my list, but I, again, I don't think it was bad. Anyway, we'll talk about that when we get to Oryx, I'm sure. That's what I was saying. Like, I know Guardians is on your list, buddy. I know uh, what you right, talked yeah. about. It, it's definitely Ooh. there. <laughs> yeah. Mm, but anyway, Marvel's was fine. So my number eight bounced up and down the list a couple times, and I can't wait for you to see it because I really want to get your feedback on it. And uh, that's The Creator. Yeah, the AI child movie. I haven't seen it, but yeah. Yeah, and like on a technical world-building level, it's a fucking masterpiece of design and aesthetic and using a teeny tiny budget to do a lot. And I was watching, like, oh, I'm, I'm really digging this, but there's, so there's something that I'm not quite getting it's keeping me from loving it so i talked to our friend seth because he loved it i'm like help me walk through and figure out maybe why this didn't work for me and at first i was like you know a lot of this didn't make sense 
like it's very 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 clearly a vietnam allegory like the u.s is invading an asian country new asia as it's called in an attempt to destroy all the ai yeah and we went through like the world building felt kind of weak and you know the world building is kind of the weaker side but that wasn't it. And then it's like, well, maybe it's, you know, some of these little plot deals. I was like, no, no, that's it. I'm like, oh, that wasn't it. And finally, we came down to the fact that the reason I can't love this movie is at a fundamental level, it and I do not share the same core philosophical beliefs that it needs me to have. Okay. The whole guiding principle of the movie, its core belief, that life is inherently sacred and of value, which I'm like, no, I, I don't follow or believe you there. And then also it does the trope that I, I really do deeply hate, the noble inherent pacifist, mm-hmm. in which it says humans are the aggressors. But AIs, AIs, even though they were designed and modeled and the movie's like, no, no, they're just as good as human, are just inherently pacifists at heart. And they will not resist at all because they're just such inherently good pacifists. Well, it is funny because that makes it subversion of uh, tech apocalypse movies. At least that's interesting. Yeah, and I like I get what you're going for, but I hate the trope of these people are good because they're inherently pacifistic. Well, and... I can see. I got two things about what you just said. One is I, I I understand why art likes to likes to portray pacifism that way. I mm-hmm. I think pacifism is an ideal in an interesting way, yep. but I, I do think it's one that's not always tenable or feasible to live up to but i do think it's a positive ideal because violence generally causes suffering but i I get what you mean about as a trope the other thing though is weird to hear you say because i know you and i have talked about how you don't have to philosophically agree with a movie to like it i mean i fundamentally vehemently disagree with the incredibles core philosophy and still love it as a movie but it just it really wants me to side with the ai and go no these noble robots deserve to live by virtue of they can make stuff and therefore are alive. I'm like, no, nah, those are still robots, not people. I, I don't I don't follow you there. And oh. then the last thing I realized... I will say, though, I mean, I've seen a number of movies that tackle something like what you're saying, and what you just said, the question then becomes, at what point does that come shift over? Oh, yeah, and they, they try that, and they're like, no, no, look, they, they look just like people. They feel just like people. I'm like... Yeah, I get that, but I'm I'm still I'm still not there. And then they introduce a character which is a literal tech god, and they go, and this is a good thing. I'm like, no, that is not a good thing. No one should have that much inherent power. I mean that I that I can agree with. There's and they're like, no, no, it's a good, wonderful thing. This is why we should side with the AI. No, this is why we should burn the AI from the ground because they can turn off all the computers in the world. But it's okay because they're inherently pacifist. I don't buy that. I don't buy that for a fucking second. Yeah, if they're I, human, that means they're capable of violence. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't gauge. I will say, you know, I'm a Star Trek fan, and one of my favorite episodes ever is The Measure of a Man, which deals with the issue of when does a sufficiently humanistic construction become endowed with the societal rights of a sentient being? And I, I come down on a very much in line with Captain Picard about it, but I'm also an existentialist, and I think that those are the kind of things that are very much dependent on your own personal belief systems and priorities, so that, that's a hard one to say. Yeah, and then, like, the last thing, it kind of said, like, oh, wait, this movie and I are not politically aligned either. 
I mean, honestly, not to turn it into this discussion, but the way you just described it made it sound like a pro-life movie, and that I don't think is what they're trying to do, but the way you described it made it sound like that. No, no. There is the inherent value that all life is inherently value. No, no. More I'm saying of this movie and I both exist on the leftist spectrum. Okay. But this one and I disagree. Like, this one is, again, it's a Vietnam movie. Yeah. And it goes... It very much caters to fuck American imperialism, fuck the U.S. military. Like, there's scenes where the military is just doing horrible, terrible shit, and it's very much trying to tap into that market. Okay. And at the same time, I'm like, no, no, no. Back in the beginning of the movie, you talked about how the robots were literally taking people's job and being used to replace human labor. And that was a big concern was, you know, what it did to the labor market and people working. Like, you and I have very different core interests. Yes, American imperialism is bad, but... I am more concerned with, you know, people's ability to work and get paid. Yeah. It's a complicated movie. There's a lot going on under the hood, which is why a lot of people said, oh, it's derivative. Oh, it doesn't have any big ideas. Like, it has a fuck ton of big ideas. I just don't agree with all of them. Which I think is fine. I mean, you put it on your top list here for a reason. And, admit, yeah. and like, I think a movie that has you thinking and talking about these kind of things is inherent, you know, is worthwhile, even the ones that are bad, necessarily. That's why it's on here. I don't love it but there's so much in it that i love talking about and it lo- it's a technical masterpiece yeah for the record i was the kid growing up who thought everyone's plans about zombie apocalypses were dumb because i figured the tech apocalypse the singularity was far more likely no if i had if i wanted to really piss people off which i kind of do yeah this you. yes this is avatar for people that made their personality out of hating avatar <laughs> that makes in it that, sound like i should ooh, love it Look how big and shiny and special it is. And here's a little kernel of an idea that's not thought out. But if you know, you know. I'll probably see it at some point. But It's, it's a good movie. But in the much as Avatar's, the joke we all made is, yeah. yes, environmentalism, good. This one is, yes, imperialism, bad. Human creation, good. Yeah, I... <laughs> There's a lot I feel like I have to say about those related philosophical topics, but I haven't seen the movie, so can't say. Yep. Oh, last things last in this whole movie. At one point, they bring out the biggest, stupidest, giantest tank I have ever seen in a movie and literally plastered across the side is U.S. Army like it's a corporate logo. I'm like, you're not a subtle movie at all. American Baneblade. <laughs> it literally is like, and it's in the prime amazon prime colors <laughs> and i'm just like oh <laughs> that would make me laugh that sounds hilarious i was laughing i'm like no no this is supposed to be the fuck yeah screw american imperialism i'm like oh you you are not a subtle movie all right my number seven's movie i don't expect ulrich to ever see or have heard of outside of me mentioning it before which is called it's an Su- anime yeah it's called suzume and I, I keep hearing about this i don't know what the fuck it is yeah it's made by makoto shinkai Makoto Shinkai is the same guy who was responsible for Your Name and Weathering With You. Your Name is the most successful Japanese movie ever. I, At least according to last thing I read. Like, more successful than Ghibli, more successful than Kurosawa. Your Name is the most successful movie to come out of Japan ever. And it's wonderful. It's a lovely movie. Weathering With You made me cry like a, like a little infant. Weathering With You was fucking amazingly beautiful and sad. Suzume is not... Anywhere near as good as either of those, but it's still very good. <laughs> yeah, no, this is one a lot of people have brought up and like, oh yeah, it's really good. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had more of an appetite for anime because apparently there's a lot of great stuff coming. You know, out. even with your okay, I would not recommend Susan to you. I think it 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 
it explores a little too much uh what's the word not esotericness um surrealness that 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 concept that you don't like when it comes to like alice in wonderland or or things like that where things are just kind of weird oh yeah weird for the sake of being weird yeah, like, I don't know if Susan May necessarily is that, but it, I think it explores a bit too much. I think Your Name and Weathering With You, you might actually like, for a whole different set of reasons. But I would not recommend Susan May to you. But for anyone out there, especially if you like those two movies, Susan May is about this girl on this island, and one day she, like, I forgot even the circumstances, but she finds this door in the middle of, like, ruins that are next to her town, and this big, weird darkness thing comes out of the door, and there's a guy who's, like, trying to close the door, and she helps close the door, and then she finds out that there's a bunch of doors like this, and the the dark thing is, like, human uh, grief from, from, like, tragic events, because the doors are always at, like, areas where there were fires or or like terrible losses of life or something and if the thing can fully get out of the door it will cause like a massive earthquake and so but then the part like i feel like all that maybe we'll work on board with but then there's a whole thing about that guy who she finds getting turned into a chair i I don't i don't know how to explain that one but the movie's beautiful look at it is sad but nowhere near as sad as weathering with you was and it you know it's a pretty movie so my number seven has an asterisk next to it. And I feel like it's a movie that should have been on more people's top 10, but because of this asterisk, it's not going to be. And that's uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. The Which asterisk, did not come out this year. So that's the asterisk. It came out less than two weeks before the end of the year. Still was on my list last year, so can't bring it up here for me. I'm putting it on my list because, again, I was convinced that, no, I saw this. This was a 2024 movie. Yeah, it's like... 23, you 12, mean. <laughs> yeah, it's like... 10 days from the end of the year i'm like fuck it it's getting on the list yeah it was the first was the first movie on my 2022 uh or yeah first movie on my 2022 list and ended up staying at like number three on that list or something this was a great year for animation so so year for movies fucking fantastic year for animation yeah he's right about that um, I talked about Puss in Boots last year, but it's amazing, so you go ahead. Yeah, it is. No, this is one of those ones that everyone kept going, holy shit, Puss in Boots is amazing. I'm like, no, it's not. And I was like, yeah, no, no, it is. Like, no. Okay? I saw the last Puss in Boots movie. This is the <laughs> House of Shrek. not the same franchise at all. <laughs> this, this is incapable of being a good movie. And I was like, no, it's a really fucking good movie. And one day, I was like, like uh, it was a family movie night, and we're like, there's nothing out right now. Puss in Boots in theaters. My daughter really wanted to see it. We're like, you know what? Let's go see it. Worst case scenario, I can yell at my friends for sending me to another bad movie. And we came out going, holy shit. Like, animation alone, whole other level. I but mean, they found a really good, compelling story in there. One thing, I think I mentioned this last year, but one thing I love about Puss in Boots is that it has three fundamentally different type of villains. Yep. And they're all very good. One of them is possibly the best version of that kind of villain ever but oh and it it does the thing that i wish more fucking movies would do it doesn't try and excuse the villain or give them a tragic backstory or make them sympathetic one of them but again they're three different kind of villains you've got for the movie's far enough back and we're gonna spoil things whatever you've got your absolute bastard for bastard's sake villain in uh the pie guy whose name i don't remember Uh, jack horner 
Jack Horner, thank you. He's literally evil for evil's sake. You've he's got, evil for capitalism. Yeah, ex- same same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, then you've got the actually sympathetic villain who you can empathize with in Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And then you have the force of nature villain who's more like a neutral entity whose desires just happen to be counter to what our hero is in The Big Bad Wolf. Who, if you haven't seen, I'm not going to spoil what the trick is with The Big Bad Wolf. But I it's came out of that movie being like, he's fucking amazing. One of my favorite villains ever. And I love it. Like, in the movie, they call out little Jack Horner like, don't you have a reason for being this? No. I'm just evil. I'm like, <laughs> thank you. Fucking kids movies get it. Why can't everybody else? You yeah. don't have to always go, no, no. They're, they're, they're bad because of X, Y, Z. It's like, no, they're just dicks. Okay? People are dicks. I am glad you saw it, and again, without spoiling anything, there's a sequence near the the second half of the movie in a cave that is one of my favorite animated sequences ever. Again, this movie goes on here because animation alone, and I wasn't going to let a 10-day period mean I didn't talk. All right, very well. My number six is also an animated movie that did come out this year, but was held off for a long time because it was in production hell for like six years or something, which is Nimona. Oh fuck, dude! I love Nimona. This I will, is I will I will gush about it when it comes up on my list. This, this is, is the really first. Like. Well, here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll hold off until we get it to on your list. But I will say this is the first movie on my list that I think is legitimately great. Like, don't get me wrong. I like Suzume as my number seven. But from six onward, well, honestly, six to three are movies I think are really, really good. Poss- probably great. Two and one are my like amazing movies. But this is the first one, Nimona, that I will absolutely go to bat for. But I'll yeah, wait. No, I just re- I just rewatched Nimona for New Year's, and I'm like, nope, this movie still fucking rocks. Yeah, but I'll wait until Ulrich brings it up. But I'll go to bat for Nimona. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number six. Oh, this story about this is almost in the movie. Is uh, Sisu. Sisu's on my list in a bit. This was a movie that the minute I saw it, I'm like, well, fuck, I need to see that. And then everyone that saw it went, fuck, Ulrich needs to see that. I was one of those. To, I said that to Ulrich. <laughs> for whatever reason. There was a barrier around my city that meant I was not going to get Sisu. It literally went to every city around me, but not me. Like, I was getting messages from people that are in Podunk nowhere, like, oh my god, I just got back from seeing Sisu. I'm like, how the fuck did you get Sisu when I didn't? You know what's funny? I don't even have to wait till we get to me, because I can sum up what's great about Sisu, I think, fairly easily. Which is basically John Wick, but Dutch, and killing Nazis. Yeah, and they, they scrape off any of the greater world building that kind of bogs down the later John Wicks for me. That's what I say. It's it like is, first John Wick, but with Nazi killing. Yeah. The most I do is I kind of have a theory that he might be Odin because there's some certain visuals that's like, they, they, they kind of feel like yeah. they're teeing that up. And for anyone who said, could be. Yeah, for anyone who missed it because it is a foreign film that got a lot of buzz, but, you know, just in case, it, it's about a gold miner in 1945 46 uh right around the time the nazis are yeah near the end of the war the nazis are pulling out of uh i said dutch but is that it is fuck finland it's not finland i don't remember what country it is finland yes it is finland Finland. i'm getting finland and denmark mixed up yeah okay so they're pulling out of finland and this gold miner who finally found gold runs into nazis who want his gold but it turns out he's very good at killing them. Yeah, that, he's like it. some folk monster. <laughs> well, he's still he's a person. He's just a person who happens he's to have... He's kind of a person. Again, there's a couple visual things in here. I'm like, 
Like there's a very specific scene where the dog is shown where it looks like the dog only has one eye. And then there's a scene where he gets hung and pierced in the side. True. Now that and then is he super. He uses his own rope to pull himself up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, like, the, the movie is brutal as fuck. And I don't even know if this is like a spoiler, but there was a person at my work who didn't seem like they were convinced. And then I told him, there's a sequence underwater where oh the underwater scene is amazing yeah where the the guy who doesn't get a name he's just you know the gold miner in order to breathe underwater and stay there so he doesn't get shot keeps killing the nazis that are swimming after him and then sucking the air out of their slit throats (laughs) yeah no i could have used more of this i could have used more just over the top but it was it was amazing. Like, just yeah. the sheer insanity. And again, the reason I will keep harking back, I think he's Odin. What he survives doesn't feel physically possible well, if he's not a semi-immortal. At the end of the movie, the, the, the final, final action piece strains credulity completely. Like, he absolutely would be dead. It would the yeah. stuff that happens at the end. And again, but... the director's kind of just shrugged him like, maybe he's an old man. Maybe he's a mythic figure. Maybe he's a god. I don't know. I'm like, yes, you do, motherfucker. <laughs> but it's okay. It's just, it's a dude killing Nazis, which oh. is what we need. And of course, because we're big, you know, Gendy Tarkovsky fans here, and I'm a Vince Gilligan fan, Sisu does a lot with silence and just yep. visuals. Which again, I'm grateful for, because it's not an English language original movie. Subtitles make give my dyslexia a lot of trouble sometimes. Like, no, no, this movie understands how to use silence and violence. All right, so my number five is a movie that I know Ulrich didn't like, but that's okay because he was basically never going to like it no matter what it was, which is Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. I disagree. I wanted to like this, but I realized like not too long ago why this didn't work for me because everyone loved this. Everyone thought it was great. And it's like, yeah, it's not funny to me. And also, that's, that's fine. Also, that's funny. All right. <laughs> also, we've talked about this. You and I have drastically different entry points into D&D. That yeah. shapes the kind of stuff we want from it. True. Since, to my understanding, Ulrich's entry point to D&D as a concept was in books, particularly yep. actual fiction books written to be, for lack of a better term, closer to reading something like Lord of the Rings. Epic whereas, fantasy. I read the R.A. Salvatore stuff where it's big, bombastic, epic fantasy. Whereas I've literally been playing Dungeons & Dragons every week for something like six years at this point. So what I wanted was a movie adaptation of the feeling of playing Dungeons & Dragons. What Ulrich wanted was probably a movie adaptation of what reading a Dungeons & Dragons book was like, and they gave us the former, which is why I love it, and why Ulrich didn't, which is... Yeah, I just, I was like, I get why this is people's bag, but like, no, no, this feels too easy for me. You're just making, you're just doing the popular thing that is popular. Which is funny, because to me, I almost feel like it's the opposite. Like, if they just did a high fantasy thing, it's like, that's been done before. I, I've i seen high fantasy movies, plenty of high fantasy movies, plenty I like, plenty I didn't like. But the, the number of times I've seen a movie that properly captured the feeling of being at the table with my friends is one before this. And that movie was called The Gamer's Dorkness Rising, which was a fan film probably the best fan film i've ever seen but so is this is peter dinklage in it no (laughs) but the point is that as far as i'm concerned going this path was far more unique and far more against what has already been done before and far more delivering on something that wasn't being delivered on in any other sense anyway i love dungeons and dragons it's a fun Mm -hmm. cast having fun together 
There's... Yeah, I want them to make more of this because people generally enjoyed it and people are happy. And I don't have anything against it. It's just like, oh, this isn't for me. Yeah. This will never be for me. And that's fine. What that sentence it's... there, we we need to get that sentence like ingrained for, you know, because for me, I, I've said that about Dune, I think, like 20 times in the last two months. So, and you are perfectly I... fine to say it about Dungeons & Dragons. It's perfectly reasonable. So, I maintain there's a way to make Dune work for me. Dune will never work for you. No. I love a reading about it, but anyway. So I gave up on on getting Ulrich into Dungeons & Dragons the way I see it a while ago, which which is fine. I do think it's disappointing because, I don't know, we've probably recorded this before. Ulrich did have some experiences with the tabletop, but they were marred by... I had two. But they were marred by... Yeah, but he told me about how they ended, and they were marred by playing with people who were generally not very nice about it. So, and Dungeons & Dragons is largely an experience shaped by the group you play in. No, both my D&D games ended the exact same way. One player declared to the table, we weren't playing right, took everyone's sheets and went home and never came back. Yeah, which is nonsense. I've played in so many different tables over over six years, uh, and... I, anytime you get a problem player like that, that player leaves. <laughs> anyway. And for the record, the way which we were not playing properly the first time is we weren't role-playing properly because we were new to fucking D&D and I had no idea what the fuck a tiefling was. Yeah, which is fine. <laughs> okay, whatever. I don't. And the second time was we were new to the game and we were table-talking too much because we didn't know what the fuck our shit did. Yeah, no, it's fine. A- any DM I've come across doesn't bring up the keep tabletop conversation down until you've been playing for a while so again both cases Ulrich told me the story and i'm like yeah i'm sorry you played with not great people so from there on out i have retired myself from DD. i'm going to go play any of the thousands of other role-playing games that exist that aren't owned by a terrible corporation and you know what that's perfectly fine business. would you be down to play pathfinder with me sometime <laughs> no pathfinder is just DD, but they wanted guns um <sighs> I mean, there are guns in D&D, but... Anyway. I thought that was the whole reason they made Pathfinder was so they could have guns. Mm, no, that's very complicated. But I play I play all sorts of tabletop. I've played Shadowrun, I've played Eclipse Phase, I've played Marvel Heroes. We've got everything we need for our Warhammer RPG if we can ever find the time to actually engage in that. Anyway, not the tangent that we're meant to be on. Point is, Dungeons & Dragons is, is Guardians of the Galaxy 1, but with fantasy instead of sci-fi. It's essentially what it is. And that's fine. I love it. Anyway, your number five. Uh, my number five is a movie I feel like nobody saw and was unfairly savaged by critics. And it's called The Pod Generation. Don't know it. Never heard of it. Yep. Didn't think so. So basically, imagine if you took a Black Mirror episode, one of the funner, lighter ones, and made it into a movie. Okay. So basically, it's this... It's a dystopian future in a lot of ways, but... Oh, I'm going to pull up the cast list real quick because I want to make sure I get his name right. Amelia Clark is a hardworking, you know, standard businesswoman. Uh-huh. And she is married to... Oh, I just want to make sure I get his name right because he was great in this. Oh, no, I can't pronounce... A Chitwell Ajo 4. I'm butchering him. He's Mordo in Doctor Strange. Okay. So she is a, you know, hardworking, you know, businesswoman at a vague business he is a botany professor and the idea is in this future we have developed a way that you can have a child but it's in this little corp clear you know plastic egg so they don't have to go through pregnancy yeah 
you don't have to go you don't have to miss work you can keep working for your job while this little thing over here does everything mm -hmm. and again the, the whole core premise is if artificial wombs existed your job would 100 percent use that like, like hey we want you to get pregnant because we really value you and you're about the age you're gonna have a baby but we don't want you to do the traditional way and miss a bunch of work why don't we pay for your pod that way you can keep working for us and you don't have to take any maternity leave either because you can do all your bonding with the egg again this is my favorite blunt as a hammer satire because the other part of it is her husband as a botany professor everyone's like oh you're a botany professor why do we have that we have holograms we don't need trees anymore we can make our own air we don't need plants anymore all right go and on I, and again i feel like they, oh this dude that's attached to this kind of what's deemed old and outdated method everyone's like why do you still do that we have this better technology version of it and he's very put off by the idea of we're not actually going to have a kid we're going to have a kid in an egg and then him slowly kind of coming to grow attached to it and the weird sense of it. Again, it's a lot about parenting is the main central thing. But again, it's also this very blunt satire of every technology will inherently be used by capitalism, essentially, to exploit you. Because they make one, this is great because childbirth is dangerous and destructive. And if we could do it for, you know, have it in a way that wouldn't, that could minimize risk for certain people, that's great. But of course, they will find the most gross way to uh, utilize that against you, i.e. you don't need to take time off work to take care of your child. We already did that for you. Tone. What's the tone? It's a comedy. Okay. Like so said, this is a light. This is a two things upper... about what you just said. One is this sounds in spirit similar to Sorry to Bother You, which I did love. Not as surreal as Sorry to Bother You, but in the same tone of if this existed, they would find a way to exploit it. Yeah. And then, I almost feel like I shouldn't say this, because I don't want to... The way you have described that, I can't help but feel... You just described that positively in a manner that sounds similar to how you negatively describe Talk To Me. Which is weird, as a listener. Is I would get, is at the core, it is basically a story about this couple that, you know, start... Amelia Clark's character, the wife is very, she wants to do this, she wants to have kids. The husband's like, no, that's gross, that's unnatural, we shouldn't be having kids. And the process that goes through of kind of, you know, if you are having a baby and one of you is really on board and one of you is kind of left, the coming together, the bonding process, it's very big, heavy on the parent. That is the central premise that draws through with just, again, very blunt, right. very blunt satires. Like, again, throughout the movie, he has to defend his process like he has a greenhouse where he has you know trees and they're like but why should we grow trees we can just you know have a hologram he's like yes but can you touch one can you feel one can you smell them and is trying to convince people that nature has value huh. in a world that's like but it doesn't do anything for us and again a lot of people like the big critic like Oh, the movie doesn't say anything. It's like, it's screaming the idea that capitalism boils everything down into, but what does this do for me? Yeah. Nothing exists for the sake of existence. It has to do something for me, including having a child should be done to benefit your job because it makes you a happier employee. All right. Again, I loved it because I love blunt, you know, satire because people are stupid and don't often get the message when you try and be subtle. Okay. But I will admit it's a fine line to walk because other times you just end up shouting message over and over again. Like, no, no, I get it. What else you got? Yeah, I, 
Okay. <laughs> I I don't want to continue that train of thought, but I, I still feel... All right. Cool. Interesting. I, sounds like something I'd like. Oh, I think... I Again, I think you'd like... I love it. I like how you compared it to Sorry to Bother You. It's If Sorry to Bother You was too weird, this is its normal cousin. All right. I mean, I love Sorry to Bother You. Because, because they're operating insane, in that same but... level of message just flashing across the board. Do you get the message? Message? Yes. What is that from? That's the... I don't Wayans, know. Right? That's the thing. I know it, but I don't know where I know it from. Yeah. I've right. only ever seen it out of context. Yeah. Anyway, my number four is Sisu, which we already discussed, so we can move on. All right. Uh, my number four, and like I said, great year for animation, is Across the Spider-Verse. Which is on my list in a second. This one jumped up and down the top four for a while, because this is another one. I went and saw with my daughter. She very specifically wanted to see this. Good. Uh the animation. We can go on and on and on and on about how great the animation is. We can also go on and on and on about the horrible shit happening behind the scenes. Yeah. I'm not qualified to talk about other than fucking pay your people, goddammit. Yeah. You know, we I... We could also go on and on about the people that missed the fucking message of this movie. <laughs> and I'm still mad about. Yeah. Miles was an asshole. What the hell was he doing? Didn't he know that what he was like, you motherfuckers, this is why I said... You can't have subtlety because people are stupid. I'll talk, um, I'll talk about it in a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say, as turned off as I was by No Way Home being cameo laden, to me, Across the Spider Verse knew how to do it. Like, hey, here's the things you love. They are supplementary to it, not the whole point of it. My number three is Barbie. It's Barbie. Your number three is Barbie? My number three is Barbie. Cool. We put Barbie in the same place. I don't think that's ever happened fucking before. Shit. No, <laughs> we, we, well. I think the year that we both had uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters at number one was the only other oh, time. Okay, fair, fair. Yeah. Fucking funniest movie I have seen all year. Oh, yeah. It's the, as far as laughs are concerned, top, easily. Oh, I want yeah. to be, be clear, too. I didn't see Oppenheimer. I didn't take part in that whole thing, but that's because I don't hate Christopher Nolan. I don't. I, I just am tired of s- movies that are just long drags which is what he i have to a do. lot of issues with nolan yeah i still and... i still have the prestige at the very least oh the prestige so. is his best movie hands down i, I don't mm-hmm. think the man that doesn't understand human emotion should be telling human-based stories yeah but barbie is fucking great and i i i don't want to take away anything from margot robbie because it is at the end of the day margot robbie's movie for a lot of reasons yep. but this movie made me finally be like yeah ryan gosling's perfect you can do everything. If he does not get to sing at the Oscars, what the fuck are we even having the Oscars yeah. for? And I already knew that he could kind of do everything from the nice guys, which was great. But seeing him here, I'm like, yeah, we have undervalued Ryan Gosling as an actor. Even when he was getting accolades, we undervalued yep. this man. He's amazing. Yeah. No, <laughs> holy shit, this one is funny. It's good. I love that 90% of the movie is an empowering message, again, not subtle at all, for women. And then, like, last time it's like, hey, we got a little bit of left time left over. Guys, are you okay? Let, let, let's, let's, let's work you through some stuff. Let's give you a big musical number that will get stuck in your head to help you process those emotions because we know that you're that simple. Yeah, you work enough. But also there's the fact that the movie is it's malleable enough that the metaphors can kind of go in either direction, depending on how you're thinking about it, which is really neat. So, cause like example, and I want to be very clear, 
neither one of us are really smart enough, I think, to talk about what I'm about to try to talk about, but I'm going to do my best. So, for the most of the movie, right, the, the Barbies are representative of women, like the concept of women, and the Kens representative of the concept of men. But, and, and, that, and that holds true for vast majority, but also it, it kind of switches in certain ways that's really fascinating and then switches back <laughs> and then and then depending on how you're thinking about it 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 was switched from the beginning and then switched back so it's an incredibly smart movie which is why i'm pissing getting pissed off people like yeah but it's a product movie so is it really that good because it's a product movie i mean it is that good despite being a product movie almost you it's, could argue it's, it's just it's just people trying to get up their own asses going no no i'm above this not only because it's pop art but because it's a product movie. You could also argue that the fact that it's based on the product of Barbie specifically gives it a a elevated like place to start from in the particular kind of message that it's trying to convey that you just wouldn't have if it weren't for it being the most well-known product for little girls in the world. Like, yep. That's what allows Barbie to tell the story it's trying to tell. And the fact that uh, Greta Gerwig is Greta Gerwig, right? Or... Yes, this is Greta Gerwig. Okay, I was, for some reason I was mixing her up with that. Uh, anyway, um, the fact that she's able to tell this story within it, and and it's weird because the movie is very, very blunt in the best possible yeah. way and makes it a, a joke. For There is one scene near the end where it's blunt without being a joke, and I, I kind of love it, even though it's also kind of cringe to watch. But... It, yeah, the movie's fucking great. It's hilarious, and it, I, I left it literally saying, I don't think I'm smart enough to appreciate this movie fully. I don't. No, my well, again, we took my I took my whole family to watch this. My wife loved it. My daughter loved it. <laughs> Even though half the jokes she didn't get, she just knew there were Barbies and there was great jokes, and the Kens were dumb, and that's all that mattered to her. No, this is what I call a great Trojan horse movie. Yeah, absolutely. In that. It's Barbie. Everyone knows Barbie. It's Margot Robbie. Everyone knows Margot Robbie. It is shot and marketed as a big uh, blockbuster. Turns out it was a huge blockbuster. And in that, it's like, hey, here's some ideas for you to go home and think about. And that's where a lot of film snobs get tied up. It's like, well, I already know these things, and therefore I'm above this movie. Like, no, you're not. Well, here's one funny thing. And, I, and my ex, who I was with at the time, we're still friends. It's all right, but we went and saw it together, and sh- and we were talking about it afterwards, and we agreed the movie doesn't say anything new, but what it does is say a lot of things that has not necessarily been said together before, and it yep. puts it all in a digestible package. Yeah, no, I get my cousin, my younger cousin, who's like fifteen, saw it. And I guess he said, it's it's not a subtle movie, and it's got a lot of ideas that I kind of have to, you know, figure out how I feel about. And I'm yeah. like, that's mission accomplished. Also, uh, I'm just Ken. It's been stuck in my head since I saw it. And oh, not dude, leave. again, that if I could get a I am Ken enough shirt that wasn't in that tie-dye, I would I be very happy. I fucking would love it in the tie-dye. I'm just too cheap to buy I, it. No, tie-dye's not my style. I'm not, I'm not going to wear that. I like pink. No. So. <laughs> I, I, I do not. Anyway, my number two, since your number three was Barbie as well, my number two is where Across the Spider-Verse comes in, which was my number one for a long time. But, so, what I want to say, first of all, since Ulrich brought this up, there are people who, for some reason, think that Across the Spider-Verse is somehow pro 
police. And actually, I understand why they think this. Uh, it, it's because of simple things like Miles' dad being a cop and Gwen's dad being a cop. And me and Ulrich talked a bit about this. And here's the thing. The movie is pro-individual cops, but it's extremely anti-the-system of authority. Yes. You, the way the movie is set up, uh, Miguel O'Hara, his entire spider cop force is built fundamentally on a set of ideas that the movie is telling you are bullshit. And that actively cause harm to people. The movie is saying that systems of authority are inherently flawed. But but Axel, there's two characters. There are the cops. And therefore, the movie is (laughs) pro-cop. Like, I would not go so far as to say that the movie is pro-ACAB, which is, for those who don't know, all cops are bastards. No, I think the movie is telling you that there are good cops. But it's also telling you that even the good ones... They're part of a system that will cause them to do bad things. That's the whole point of That's Gwen's why character. They have the, yes, the point where Gwen Stacy or Captain Stacy's like, I quit the force today because I couldn't be part of them. He's realizing that the system is inherently corrupt, yeah. even though his ideals are noble. And Gwen herself is a reflection of that because she joins the fucking spider cops and then does bad things knowing what they cause and then miles has to be the one to be like nah this is bullshit and i ain't going along with any of this <laughs> so meaning wise yeah i'm totally on board philosophically with this movie it's also as or put it fucking gorgeous and yeah so if you yep. put the real world consequences of that aside but it pushed the boundary in animation in a way that hasn't been done since fucking into the spider-verse so that's yep. that's great and the characters are all wonderful. I love Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Like, I, I'm i the guy who's for the longest time been saying, Spider-Man's my favorite superhero, and Miles Morales is is, is fucking great. Like, he he's, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I lose my, this, there are two movies that came out this year that I think are fucking amazing, and this is the first one. Like, Across Spider-Verse is wonderful. Yeah, last thing's last, we should address the other quote-unquote controversy but it's not a complete movie. It ends on a cliffhanger. Which is the only reason, it's that, I will admit, is the only reason that it's not number one. Because I deliberated between my one and two. At the end, I ended up doing it this way only because Across Spider-Verse is quote-unquote not a complete movie. I will say that I would never put it down below number two because even with that, they fucking told us that was going to be the case to begin with. And it's amazing anyway. (laughs) I'm not going to go down the whole rabbit hole of arguing that, yes, it is a complete movie despite having a part two. I will reference the Lord of the Rings and fucking Star Wars. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I totally agree. Just I, because there's a part two doesn't mean you can't tell a part one complete story. Yeah, I I do think that the way the ending happens, I can understand why some people were turned off by it if they didn't know. But I'm just telling, like, they told us from the beginning that it was going to be, you know, across Spider-Verse, beyond the Spider-Verse. Like, yeah. I I was in the theater, and I heard someone behind me be like, how long do we have to wait? And I turned and told them, like, you know, we already know when the next one's coming out. At least, to my knowledge, we already know when the next one's coming out. So it wasn't... It got delayed. Now it's been delayed into we don't know. Which, you know well, what? If that lets the animators have fucking time, fine. Yes. I'll, I'll wait. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. As long as you don't Duke Nukem it, we're going to be fine. So, oh, fuck no. 
Yeah. Then all those people, see, I told you it was pro-cop. Like, oh, motherfuckers. Yeah, no, Across Spider-Verse is wonderful. I also love, here's the thing, and Across Spider-Verse is the perfect way for me to say what I'm about to say. There's an idea in fiction, or not even in fiction, in entertainment, that generally speaking, the things that an audience wants to see are the things that they relate to. That's why we always talk about characters being relatable. And I'm not saying that the opposite is is true somehow, but what I am saying is that, you know, growing up, Peter Parker was my favorite superhero because I related to him. I saw him as me. But sometime around when I was like 26 or 27, things started shifting for me. And I started thinking, I started feeling, why do I want to engage with entertainment that does nothing but reinforce my experiences that I already have? I had those. They're my experiences. Why do I need to experience them again? I'm far more interested in engaging with entertainment, music, movies, video games, whatever, that expose me to experiences and points of view that my own life didn't, that allows me to gain more empathy for people who have those experiences. So the fact that the two main characters, Miles Morales and Gwen Stacy, are both characters who have come from birth circumstances, uh city circumstances life circumstances that are nothing like my own is part of what i love about that about this movie and yeah i'm not even going to get started on the bad gwen stacy takes oh because they're out there holy shit are they i will you know what i'll touch on one which is no gwen stacy is not trans yes her story is absolutely transcoded and that's fine well that's a harmless take i'm talking about people that got pissed that she was a ballerina People got pissed about that. I saw people getting pissed oh. about the trans thing, but I didn't see the ballerina Oh, no, thing. people got pissed that she was a ballerina because ballerinas and the whole lot of complicated emotions with women I mean, I've and seen ballerinas. Black Swan. I... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, aside, they're just like, oh, man, oh, they had to make her a ballerina because she's a girl, and therefore, I'm like... She's allowed to like ballet. It's okay. You know who else does a lot of ballet? Most football players, because it's good for your legs and stretch and exercise. Maybe we just, it's a great shorthand from the comic to explain how she moves as fluidly as she does. Yeah. Also, it just looks cool. Like, in general, I I admittedly, I prefer her ballet shoes to the costume than the Converse in this one. But also, uh, Across Spider-Verse gave us Spider-Punk, you know, and that's... Which is the character that I should have hated on paper but like no no i like him i yeah. get him he's he's possibly the coolest character released in fiction this year <laughs> i i love the bluntness of him <laughs> yep uh okay so speaking of blunt we're on to my number two uh, i've said it's a great year for animation and i said i love a movie that has the bluntness of a uh, sledgehammer number two was nimona which the was the movie that Disney was afraid to release because it was too gay. Which was my number six, so which we skipped over talking till we got to it for him. And for anyone who doesn't know, Nimona is originally a was that a comic webcomic. or a webcomic? Webcomic. It was a webcomic. Now it's a comic. Yeah, it got turned or it got put in production hell essentially forever because, as Ulrich just put it, you know Disney saw this it was is too gay. The last movie of Blue Sky, like Blue Sky Productions, the Ice Age people made this, had it all That's done. Not Disney, but yeah, Disney bought Fox. Then went, no, no, we can't market this. The entire Midwest will be angry at us. Because two men kiss. Yeah. It's a movie about three characters predominantly, and two of them are men in a overt relationship. It is a, oh, it's not even a metaphor. Like, I don't know if subtext applies anymore, but there is a trans allegory. There's being a gay allegory. Well, Nimona as a character is interesting because they can be representational of 
almost any kind of marginalized person. Yep, and they even talk about it. And, you know, there's a great line, like, well, if you try just being a girl, what does that mean? Yeah. As oh, true. I forgot about that point, line. I'm like, You're absolutely right. we're not being subtle at all. And now I see why Disney went, no, no, we don't want this. This is scary. This is bad. And real quick, for anyone Netflix, who doesn't know, because Nimona didn't get a theater release, it got released on Netflix, so it's perfectly reasonable that someone will be listening to this and not know what we're talking about. Uh, the plot line of Nimona involves there is a fictional city that's basically a modern day city if it was an evolution of like Camelot. Like they got yeah. their better technology but kept their like culture. They still got swords and crossbows and oh yeah. I love it. It's like aesthetically like oh this I love this. this and it's is... all built around this mythology about like d- <sighs> creatures beyond the walls. And so monsters. they have Yeah, and so they, they have make a big to... point of monsters. Yeah, monsters, exactly. Important word. And so they have a whole circle of knights. And you've got a main character who is, like, the best at being one of these knights. and he's But he's also, there's classism involved, too, because he was, like, yep. a uh, a regular person, not of royal blood. So him getting lifted into the knights is seen by a lot of the other knight potentials as not great. And so then... We're letting the immigrants into the country. We're electing them to office. What next? Yep, and... This is not a spoiler because they tell you it in the trailer, but there's something that happens when he is getting knighted that causes something terrible to happen that then causes him to be seen as a criminal by the rest of the city. He has to go on the uh, run to try to figure out who has framed him. And all that up to this point is like, okay, you've got a cool setting. You've got a kind of spy thrillery kind of thing. And then we throw a fucking grenade in it with the titular character, this young girl named Nimona, who we quickly find out is a shapeshifter. She can turn into fucking anything. And we don't know why she's around, where she came from. All we know is that she really likes our main night guy, and she wants to be his buddy and help him out. And also she has a penchant for mayhem. And She's an anarchist. I mean, that's... Yeah, it's there from the start. Like I knew she sold. I was sold immediately after she blows. She helps blow up a building, and then watching the building, there are literally flames in her eyes, and she goes so metal. It's like, yeah, I love you, Nimona. You mean she destroys the police station and kicks <laughs> the shit out of all the cops? Yeah, Nimona is one of the coolest characters. Like Hobie is, I think, the coolest character, but Nimona's like number two. She's like right there as for like coolest characters that came out this year. Nimona is fucking awesome. Yeah, no, I love this movie. My daughter loves this movie. Again, I love it because it has zero subtlety. And, like, I had heard leading up to a lot of, like, I was like, oh, this is the queerest movie that's ever been made. No way. No no wonder Disney didn't want to produce it. I'm like, okay, let, let's see. Oh. Because, you know, you hear that a lot. Then I watch them, like, oh, no, this is actually <laughs> intentionally. Like, they cast gay actors. They made it very clear that they are in a relationship together. They, they did not queer bait. It just is. And they never make a yes. big... They never make a deal out of it. It just is. Because the, the character I mentioned, they make it also very clear in, like, the the fourth or fifth scene that he is in a relationship with, like, the the Sir Lancelot kind of character. Sir Goldenloin. Goldenloin, yeah, thank you. Which and, I love. It's not, again, it's not even zero subtlety. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, the movie is, is not subtle at all, and it's not meant to be. And I love that it, I recently dealt with queer baiting and another franchise i really like and seeing it avoid that pitfall is very nice oh i have double appreciation because at time of recording i'm watching the percy jackson show with my daughter and i'm constantly frustrated by the sanding of the edges to childproof them that they've done like Mm -hmm. oh no kids kids can't see this this is too much and this one's like kids will be fine okay kids can see this stuff they'll be fine we're going to talk directly to them 
things they won't get now. But I guarantee you when they watch with their 13, that ending, they're going to go, oh, I never realized that. Oh, yeah. If you're listening to this and you think that Nimona is just a, you know, a fun ride with that happens to also be very progressive. I mean, it is that, but the ending will also crush you. If you have a heart, oh, yeah. if you have empathy at all, the ending should turn you into a weeping mess. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it fucking like, ooh, this is the second movie this year that has made me feel. I do not like that. Yeah. But again, and again, I love it. It's such a good movie. It's such so it's so beautifully animated. The eyes, the fucking eyes and the shit they do with eyes. Well, I I, I love that Nimona has this thing where she'll just shift into things just because, not for any purpose, but just because that's what she feels. There's a great sequence where she's talking with the main character, the other character, and she turns into a shark before she shakes his hand, and and he's like. Can, can you be, like, normal? She goes, I don't know what you mean. What are you talking about? <laughs> now, she's fucking with him, but at the same time, it's given this, like, she just is whatever she feels like she's being at the time. Yeah, no, again, it's a great, they, they make a whole point of she shifts because that is how she feels comfortable. Again, great metaphor for non-binary. Yep. Now, no, my... I can't say enough positives about this. Absolutely. And it should still be available on Netflix. I feel like of all the movies we've talked about, except for maybe that Pod People one, this is probably the easiest one to have overlooked since it didn't have yeah, a proper theatrical release. Yeah, jumped it on Netflix. Yeah, and it is highly worth your time. Anyway, my number one movie of the year, which was... Was this it the last is... movie I saw? I think it was the yes, last was... movie I saw. Yes. Which was Godzilla Minus One. Yep. I now, know. big fucking surprise... But I'm a massive Godzilla fan. I have been forever. As Ulrich mentioned, the year Godzilla King of Monsters came out, it was number one for both of our lists. Generally speaking, though, there are two kinds of Godzilla movies. And I say this as someone who had the, the fucking milk crate full of Godzilla VHSs growing up. I've watched almost all of them. I don't remember most of them. But I do remember plenty of them. But there are generally two kinds of Godzilla movies, broadly speaking. There's Godzilla as superhero, or as, like, Sentai, essentially, where we have big monsters fight and it's almost like a wrestling match. That's where we get things like Godzilla flying across the, the field on, on his tail. Fun, goofy shit. Yep. The American Godzilla movies that have been coming out since 2014 fall much into this category, especially after King of the Monsters. And they're fucking great. This is not a bad or good. This is just, this is the first category. The second category is Godzilla as meaning, as message, as metaphor, as satire. This is what the original Gojira was, and it's what Minus One is. It, I don't know how to explain this. Let me put it this way. I have coworkers who are older, and they're the kind of people who like, you know, like westerns and older kind of movies and, and things like that. They are the kind of people I would never in a million years recommend King of the Monsters to, but I would still recommend Minus One to. Because this movie is fucking beautifully sad and wonderful and horrific. Like, the whole plot line is that there's a guy whose name escapes me because it's a Japanese name, and I'm sorry, I'm not good at remembering those kind of things unless I hear them a lot, and I only get to see this once, unfortunately. But it's we're in, like, just post-World War II, like, right at the end of World War II, and this guy was a kamikaze pilot, but he backs out. He is disgraced. He couldn't go through with doing the kamikaze thing. And right as he's dealing with his own shame of that... Godzilla shows up for the first time and becomes the literal manifestation of his own self-guilt and and disgrace. And then as the movie goes on, that concept just grows. Because we deal with post-war Japan, post-war, like, 
a lot of Americans are not taught that there wasn't just the atom bomb. We bombed the shit out of Japan for like a year. Tokyo. It's yeah. to be made of wooden paper. Yeah. And so th- we show the aftermath of that where this guy is living in like like literal junkyard is what it looks like. And he, he manages to, you know, meet other people and create kind of a found family situation only for Godzilla to come up and fuck it all up again because Godzilla cannot let this man have any sort of peace or happiness. And whenever Godzilla shows up, he's fucking terrifying. I don't know what they did to his eyes, but there's a sequence when this man is on a boat with like three other people that's kind of evocative of Jaws and Godzilla is chasing after them and you just see the top of his head out of the water and I have never found Godzilla scarier. Now, admittedly, I didn't see Shin Godzilla, so I will acknowledge I've heard he's terrifying. Shin Godzilla, I got issues with Shin Godzilla, namely being Noodlezilla and the stupid googly eyes. Yeah, it's fine. I never saw it. I have heard that he gets quite terrifying at the end, but I will tell you that in Godzilla Minus One, he's terrifying the whole way through. Also, his atomic breath has never been better. It is both awesome and horrifying. They do something very specific to his atomic breath to make it more of a literalization of an atom bomb. Yeah, no, again, this is one I gather, haven't seen it yet, not a subtle movie about what it's about. Oh, no, but it also has other things it's about that are great, because it's not necessarily about the atomic age in the same way that the original Godzilla was. It's kind of more about the government's failure to deal with the consequences of war, especially when it comes to its people. Literally, the entire second and third act is about how uh, yeah, the government is not helping any of the veterans or the civilians in bombed out, you know, these bombed out areas at all. And they're instead dealing with political bullshit with America and Russia. So all of the veterans and the civilians have to come together to come up with their own solution to the Godzilla problem. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say, man. I saw the movie and it's a subtitled movie, which I know is a little, as Oryx said, his dyslexia has a little trouble with it. But it, I was amazed. The fact that there's a concept me and Oryx have talked about. Like once before, I think in the, uh, the the monthly hangout, where I said, "What is the movie franchise where the best movie is the farthest in?" And for a long time, I thought it was Friday the Thirteenth because the sixth Friday the Thirteenth is probably the best. But this is the thirty-first Godzilla movie, and I can honestly say I think it's the best Godzilla movie. I like King of Monsters a little more, but it's because I really like my goofy, ridiculous like sentai godzilla but i do think godzilla minus one is better as a movie weigh in on that one real quick because a lot of people are throwing that one around like oh my god this is the best godzilla movie this is how all godzilla movies should be i'm like no i fundamentally disagree they should not all be this but i do think this is the best godzilla movie i think as you point out there are two different types of godzilla movies so if you want to say this is the best godzilla's metaphor movie i won't argue that I don't know if I will ever think, even if I lose me, this is the best Godzilla movie because I believe there are two Godzilla movies out there. It's like saying peanut butter is the best sandwich topping. Yeah. Well, no, er earlier, or point out earlier that I label and keep track of like all the movies I see. I have a a list of my, uh, right now it's like 300 favorite movies or something like that. It's just growing as I remember more movies and I'm just adding more things to it. I think if you look at that list right now, you would see King of the Monsters at number 12, and minus one at number 13. Like, they're right next to each other. Yeah, and that's fair. I'm saying you can like one over the other, but I fundamentally disagree with saying one in Godzilla. There isn't one best Godzilla movie because there's two types of Godzilla movies. And, I, and I'm not going to argue because, like, I mean, I'll still make the statement, I do think this is the best Godzilla movie, but best in this terms, there's a big quotation around it because yeah. of what and where I kind of take umbrage is 
it's the weird kind of film snobbery sneaking in of, oh, I can enjoy this Godzilla movie because it's serious. Where the other one, no, no, it's dumb, dumb. And like, you're, 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 you're missing the entire point of Godzilla. Yeah. And Both are good. I love Godzilla. Both are good. And this one just happens to be fucking amazing at the one specifically. Yes. And that's super, it, it's, it's super enjoyable. All right. So if you haven't guessed it by now, my number one is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Which, from the way he described it when we first talked about it after seeing it, I knew it was going to be his number one. <laughs> yeah, this is the closest I have come to crying in a theater ever, because who damn does this movie start just delivering the emotional haymakers? I will say, before I give the microphone to Ulrich entirely, that uh, I enjoyed that movie just fine. I, I felt like I was... Too much of a killjoy when it comes to it. So here, I, I do think that for me personally, I like the first Guardians and the second Guardians more, but I understand where Oak's coming from, and I'm just going to give you the mic now. So, I, I understand. This movie feels very much like James Gunn snuck into my house one night, read my brain, picked up on the specific cues of things that will cause me the most emotional distress and harm, and then wrote them into the movie. <laughs> because... The laser focusness of which the really big emotional stuff hits is just like, fucking, really? I mean, fucking all the, the Drax as a dad and letting go of Mantis at the end and the feeling you have of letting your kids go out into the world the first time. Drax feeling guilty for failing his kids. All the dad shit around Drax is like, oh, that's just really drilling home. Peter carrying the guilt of his mother's death still i mean fuck i don't we, we went on about this on the again this is a patreon review we did it go pay five dollars listen to all our movie reviews for the year for the in-depth nitty-gritty this is a fucking amazing movie with again high evolutionary hands down just conceptually aside acting wise one of the best marvel villains to date because I wish I could pronounce, remember how to pronounce his name. I'm so sorry. Is doing a fucking amazing job just fucking delivering psychopathic speeches. <laughs> I love the line, there is no God, that's why I stepped in. And at that moment, I'm like, oh no, seeing a bit of myself in this guy. <laughs> I don't like this. This movie is too keyed to me personally. If I had to criticize anything about it, my only criticism is, and this is peak old man Ulrich, the music didn't, you know inspire me the same way the previous ones had mm -hmm. um no fucking the minute the movie opened with little rocket and the eyes i'm like oh i'm in trouble because even this opening is kind of like ooh, that, that's pulling some heartstrings and if that's the opening it's only gonna get worse from there you, you fuck know you know what's funny that you say that Ulrich? i feel like and this is only gonna make sense to like two or three people really but that makes in some ways that makes Guardians of the Galaxy 3 like like the Space Wolves uh, as a movie for me. In that I should be in the same space as you. Part of the reason why, raccoons are my favorite animal. Period. The little, intro, or the little information for all listeners. My favorite animal is raccoons. <laughs> I don't know why it doesn't. Anyway. But, I mean, fuck. Little Rocket's first words being hurts. The fact that this movie did not make a billion dollars this year kind of confirmed my theory that the landscape of movie theaters has fundamentally changed. Yeah. And even though I don't feel this way, I do recognize that there are quite a few content creators 
who have espoused the opinion that Guardians 3 is the best of the trilogy. And there are quite a lot of people who think that Guardians is the best trilogy of the MCU. I also see an equivalent number of people who think that Captain America is the best trilogy of the MCU. I think there's actually an interesting conversation there, but this different is conversation. The conversation. Huh? Because they, this is the Godzilla conversation. They service different needs in a way. Yeah, I get that. Like the heart and soul in Guardians is James Gunn right there, front and center. This is his emotional journey that you're going to kind of hold his hand and go on the walk with him for. I do think it's interesting that James Gunn seems to really enjoy working out his particular family issues in his films. Now, the fact that he dedicated this to his dad at the end, I'm like, oh, motherfuckers. Which, again, if you don't know, James Gunn and his father had a very tumultuous relationship. It's mapped in every father figure James Gunn has ever done. That's his relationship with his father. And I don't want to accuse James Gunn of being... of of read into things that maybe aren't there. But I will say that the apparent propensity for him to do this in many of his films helps make his films feel like sincere expressions of an artist. And I I do think that's important. Write what you know. And all of the Guardians movies, I make the same joke. It's like, if you have a tumultuous relationship with your father or a father figure, James Gunn's coming for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Because who damn. And this one is like, hey, do you have a grandfather figure you might not have visited in a while? I I, I do. Do you want to cry? Not not really. Too bad. Motherfucker. (laughs) Again, even when I think I'm done, the post credit scenes are coming for me. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't remember how successful this movie was. I do I do it believe you. It did well, but again, this didn't cross the billion. I think there are only two billion dollar movies this year, which are Barbie and Oppenheimer. I yeah. could be wrong, but again, I thought this was gonna make a billion. I thought Across the Spider-Verse was gonna make a billion. They didn't. And again, the conversation we are not having is the film landscape has fundamentally changed and we are too caught up in doing the celebratory dance on Marvel's grave, premature or not. Which Anna Grave. I mean, especially when you see something like Guardians 3. Oh, Guardians 3 is the roadmap. Let creators tell stories they want, and you'll have great stories. The only downside is this should have made a billion dollars. It didn't, so they're like, well, we let them tell the story they wanted, and we still didn't make a fortune. It it is funny, because not to to get on a stupid MCU conversation, but it, 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 like, my favorite Disney Plus show is WandaVision, which felt like a real expression of an auteur and so it is is interesting i i feel like disney is experimenting at this point with to what level they can do that because i like the fact that the mcu has gotten to the point where it can be a lot more experimental like it started off experimental and i think it's getting experimental again after not being after because they ate shit so hard this year and a lot of people accused like yeah you've got your thumbs too much to the grindstone let up let the stories kind of be their own interesting things i don't don't spend a fortune because you're not going to make that fortune back anymore yeah oh by the way apparently in what he just said godzilla minus one apparently was on a budget like 10 times less than what the last american godzilla movie was well there also there's a whole bunch of really nasty terrible stuff about how movies are made in japan i know i was gonna i was gonna say that (laughs) there is okay caveats because of how the film industry there works it still was made in a pretty cheap budget though (laughs) yeah no, and I mean, between Godzilla Minus One and the creator proving that there's ways to do it, please do it ethically, please pay people, Yeah. but rein it in. But last things last, my big take with you, this is a fucking amazing year for animation, especially Western animation. 
I would go off on a whole rant about that, but that's another episode. I, I, and the last thing I'll say is that Godzilla Minus One was my favorite movie of the year, but it was my second favorite passive entertainment. Actually, no. Just entertainment period, because there was no video game that came out that I liked more. So I'm not going to spend any time talking about it, because I already did that in a previous recording. But my favorite thing that came out this year, period, was live-action One Piece, which I recommend recommend even to people who are not fans of One Piece. So, you know, that's on Netflix. Go check it out. Wait, we talked about that, didn't we? Like, No, we did not, because I got nothing to add to that conversation. Yeah, that's why I was like, I'm not going to have a whole thing about it right now. This is a movie conversation. But I just want to add that as much as I say I love Across Spider-Verse and Godzilla Minus One... One Piece Life Action was my favorite piece of media that came out this year, period. It just happened to be a television show instead, and it, and I wanted to have that as part of the conversation, because it's like, hey, I'm going to push this forward, because it's it's a, just a good pirate show. Even if you don't like One Piece as it is, it's a fucking good pirate show. Go check it out. <laughs> so, well, let's let's have that. If you're listening to this, and you want us to do, like, a TV show rundown, like the way we do movies... Maybe we'll consider that next year. Let us know. That could be interesting. Probably wouldn't have as many entries, but because shows no, are No, but we'd harder. have more time because there's been some really good shows. Like, I just finished Reservation Dogs uh, tonight, and I'm still sad. All right, I don't even know what that is. Oh, dude, you got to watch that. Well, hopefully the fans want to hear us talk about TV then. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things because we're not like the big budget studios. We don't have a marketing department. You are our marketing department. You have to share this if you want us to. And thank you for hanging out with us for like an hour and a half or whatever this will be after we cut it down a bit. <laughs> but whatever platform we're on that you're listening to us on, thank you for doing that. We're we're most places at this point. I think the only places we're not on are places that want to charge us some exorbitant amount. But hey, if you want us somewhere that we're not, tell us about it. We'll look into it. As always, this has been Large Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.